Summertime, summertime, K-Earth, summertime, K-Earth 101, Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, Ripley, how many different identities do you assume? Introduce oh, yourself. so many. My name is Ripley, and I'm sitting here with Ariana. A.K.A. Baby Local. A.K.A. Nariana. A.K.A. Cutie. Co-founder of Brujas. The um, alleged skate witch gang. Political organization. Cultural influencer. Operative. Mm -hmm. Party promoter gang. Party monsters. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe we can talk a little bit about what Brujas is. Uh, As a team, because we're both in it. Yeah. Um... I mean, it's evolved through almost three years. This is our th- third summer as a official um, organization of ideas, people, and energy. And I would say in its current manifestation, it is a tempting to be the first progressive, radical lifestyle brand um, using culture as an organizing and radicalizing tool for young communities, uh, particularly disenfranchised communities, uh, including urban women of color and trans and queer youth of color. Um, That is my best definition right now. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that that is usually how I describe it as well. I mean, I think that there's something that's particularly stands out about Brujas in the way that it uses cultural aesthetics as an organizing tool, which has been done historically in movements. But like since, mm, I don't know, maybe the nineties, I feel like there was this real push against aesthetics in movements and like also kind of, a lumping of aesthetics into like kind of like a feminized Mm. like sphere as if that that was a bad thing um and i think what's really unique about brujas is that it's able to like maintain this like very like tough like feminine aesthetic like commitment and like a really tough like organizing like conceptual framework um around yeah, youth's capacity to create change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now, I don't think that there's anybody, at least in my direct community of young, um, born and raised Native New Yorkers who are affiliating politically with either a political disposition on like the spectrum from the left to the right, or even with political organizations such as... Um, we won't even have to say the ones that people know, but there are even other long-lasting political organizations like IWW and uh, who else? I mean, even more recently, there's like all this talk about how young people are joining the Democratic Socialists of America in like swamps, right? Oh, like, they are. Yeah, well, but, like from my like mean that really particular vantage point of like New York City-driven youth native culture, like nobody has ever even thought about affiliating with a political party. So I feel like 
for us our go-to political parties are like the brands that we engage with and like the, totally so so i'm thinking of it's it's interesting because the, some of the issues with that is that because a brand is theoretically a, like a private enterprise or like commercial operation um organization of or whatever with capitalist interests and, yeah, yeah absolutely with like uh, investment and growth and stuff like that um it doesn't have the sort of regular commitment to uh democracy and representation and equity within the organization that traditionally come naturally with i think the the idea of a political organization but if we pair some of those concepts of equity representation democracy consensus-based decision making um transparency with our political base which is our I guess our consumer and consumer base and our followers who are, you know, digesting our content that's like put out on a daily that that sort of combination I think is unique. So that's, I think for kids to, you know, some of their go-to brands, which do represent or fill the void of political organizations really don't consider the, things that a political organization would the way that Ruhas does. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what makes us um, somewhere in between a political organization and a lifestyle brand. Lifestyle brand, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and some of the things that we do day-to-day -day are stuff that like young people want to engage with anyway. And so the fact that we're kind of doing it as community organizers is pretty unique. Like the fact that you can go to a party and be surrounded by people who self-identify as anarchists or, you know, other other forms of, like, anti-state ideology right. is, like, pretty significant. And even even people who, like, wouldn't use those words at all but share sentiments, you know, who, who say fuck the police and mean it and um, don't think that prisons should exist and don't think that or, you know, believe in a world without rape. Like, those are all significant things that Bruja stands for that... Um, that lots of other brands aren't able to make statements about because it means that they aren't making money the way that they want to, which I think is definitely going to be the like brand bubble crisis or whatever, like that young people are going to become increasingly disillusioned with brands that don't take stands on those sorts of issues. Yeah, absolutely. Also, we have definitely um, in innovating a model to materially support community organizers. And that is something that um, a lot of community organizations have a really hard time figuring out how to do on a in a sustainable way. Um, and not only have we found ways to at least temporarily, I mean, not temporarily, I I'd say like to so far at least grow our projects through our our labor so that they're more influential in scope um i don't say we've we've we're currently like a sustainable business or have a sustainable business model figured out but it is in our like agenda to um also like provide the model that we are developing right now to other young people who want to you know have impact in their community and influence the young people around them to think more radically and challenge um, disciplinary apparatuses around them and take community control of their 
like cultural production cultural production is the exactly what i was gonna say yeah Yeah. totally and so that's something we want to export and like actually give as a toolkit to young like starting with young women who have been you know the majority of our our following are young women so we know that we can definitely like give them this these tools to do what we did for their communities mm-hmm. so that's like definitely in our agenda uh, providing a toolkit to materially support your community organizing mm-hmm. yeah definitely and there's a long legacy of that particular iteration of work but again like because of the way that the nonprofit system and like other kind of like foundations have essentially co-op social movements it's become really almost impossible for community organizations to fund themselves um, outside of like grassroots fundraising. And for us, like we're really interested in trying to figure out similar to mask as a whole. um, If it's, if it's possible to like support yourself materially and support like an, or like an organizing campaign, for instance, uh, based around like uh, profits from cultural production or streetwear profits. And yeah. Totally. So the origins of Brujas, I mean, where, where we are now with all of that, um, we're thinking about like growing the organization and the model, um, giving a toolkit to other young people across the country. I mean, we've come a really long way from, um, the point that we are at now, um, which is a very tight knit, um, organizing, like, team that um is committed to actually growing this organization beyond you know the benefit of ourselves so um it really started without any intentions of doing anything particularly organized to be honest because that's where the sickest shit comes anyway from the chaos and spontaneity of like youth culture and just energy. I think that there were some founding members of mask magazine at our third or fourth brew house party. Ever. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that that was right when I met Hannah and Tyler <laughs> Yeah, and I got them to come to a party uptown, at to Washington house. Heights. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, you want to come to a party with some uptown kids? Yeah, totally. And that was the whole vibe. It was so it really started um, the summer of 2015, right? So we're in 2017. Oh, yeah, it would be 14. Yeah, totally. I was, yeah, okay. So summer of 2014, um, I had just finished my junior year. Um, and I was coming back to the city with a fellowship to do research on the buying and selling economy, um, which is when kids go, it's very ironic, all of this, to be honest, <laughs> kids will like stand in line, spend like probably like 72, sometimes between like 24 and 72 hours, um, waiting for limited edition clothing drops or sneaker drops, then buying them, going online to Facebook or eBay and reselling them for the profit. Um, so my whole summer was sort of dedicated to 
going to sneaker stores like resale stores, interviewing kids who were really heavy in the game of reselling. It was a um, ethnographic project that had an IRB and all of that. So I was like, you know, pushing for this project, but also was just like, fuck everything. And was like, so socially exhausted by all of the, um, almost like, I guess, I don't know if this resonates with people who've been on liberal arts college campuses in the last like eight, 10 years where the social energies, at least on political campuses like Oberlin, uh, so charged with sort of like a competitive who's positioned almost to be most radical, who's most radical, like, and how that's like wrapped up in identity and identity politics. And we had just had the weirdest year of like hate crimes because of course with the energy, with that kind of social energy comes a lot of, comes with a lot of like white male rage. So there were all these like hate crimes on campus and the students of color were like super pressed to be organizing around institutional reform to make sure that it was just, so it was wild, you know? And I was so that world of like, I don't even like this word to be honest, but like oppression Olympics times like activist activism around identity and representation in college campuses and just like very volatile sort of social atmosphere was just so foreign to like the native youth of New York city. Like I came back to a sanctuary of like 100% Brown community of skateboarders who didn't even, yeah, like there's colorism and there's like a whole range of brownness from like the lightest skin Latino in the skate park to the 100% Afro Latino Honduran from the Bronx, you know, you know, there's that entire range at the skate park, but nobody is pressing the issue when we're all have about $5 in our pocket to go buy empanadas for the day. If that, you know, it was like, it was, there's, there's such a, um, sort of class and sort of cultural, you know, like solidarity in, in the community of skateboarders that I found myself in that summer. Um, that just literally saved me from what was completely driving me insane at school. It was like, I was so far from home over there. And, um, I mean, the beauty of like the Latino uptown skateboarding community is 100% what inspired the, the beginning of Brujas as, as a party, which was a, was a house party for like skateboarders from the Bronx and Washington Heights. And they were very, very well attended by that demographic. Um, and there was a lot of love in that community and it, is still the the sort of feeling that that drives why we do what we do and why we create space the way that we do. Um, there's the you know you can find the the origins of the the with, within the Bruhaus narrative of like the boys didn't want us in their skate video like even though that we were friends and like we had to create our own space like all of that you can find anywhere um, on the internet if you type in Bruhaus and that was like really important too of just like being women and being excluded. Um, I think since, just to be clear, since being 
thrown into the blogosphere and like media world as like women, this women that I've definitely completely de-affiliated de- de- with like the, the identity of like womanhood just don't really relate to that term anymore. Uh, because it was too, um, it just became, a, it seemed like a headline more than a real way of describing an experience, which has a lot more to do than being of a certain, you know, interpret, interpreted as a certain gender. Um, it has a lot to do with an attitude and a passion and a state of mind and a, a politic that's based in radicalism um, and materialism over identitarian positions. So I was just like, I just don't really, for so many reasons, like affiliate with like, like a gender. But um, I definitely like learned about that through my experience organizing with Brewhouse. So in the beginning, it was like women, like we have to support women skateboarders. And like, we want to film women skateboarders because we want to throw parties and like do things for women. Um, And I think that all is still definitely the fabric and the most important thing about what we do. But I just personally, as, as just a person who is, I was like gender queers cannot uh, continue to see my work being marketed. Um, It just, it just strips kind of the essence of like the freedom and the intention for freedom in the work to like something that is trendy and just annoying. Like, I don't want to see Brewhouse affiliated with like a gender identity in nylon. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that yeah, ever just, again. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> just tangentially to like try and contextualize what um, Ariana is talking about. I think that, and I think that this connects to how Brewhouse has grown and right. grown our analysis, is that we see ourselves existing in a world that has been entirely changed by the internet. And one of the things that like internet companies, um, news, news companies like vice, like nylon, whatever are struggling with is how to make money in, in a world where like ad advertising is, um, like because of ad blocking software at like they're not making money off of advertisements, but when they were, it was through clicks. And so what they had to do, especially if like people's world worlds were dictated by their feed was like, try and get people to click on something. And that's like where the term clickbait comes from or whatever. It's like, Oh, you were just trying to get me to click on that. So that's why everything, you know, the, um, like upworthy effect or whatever it was like, you'll never guess what this person is doing, blah, 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 blah. It started being built around, um, click baiting. And the, the, there was like this fragmentation of like trying to figure out if you could get someone, a particular type of person to click on a, a piece of content. So then you have more and more like checkout. And this is like the first example of like Bruhas getting like big attention it was like all, all girl feminist skate crew from, from the, the Bronx. Bronx. Could you, you know, could that be more niche? Like right. how many people are going to click on that? Well, it turns out like a lot, like, like <laughs> over on our first few articles over like 20,000 yeah. repub- like shares. I'm sure. Yeah. 20,000 shares. Means you're probably talking about like 300,000 unique visitors or something like that. I mean, it's, it's really intense. So I think the, one of the, 
And that, that just keep, kept compounding. Now, so the New York Times has said that about Brujas, and that means that Vice is going to say that about Brujas. Right. That means that Nyland's going to say that about Brujas and Teen Vogue and da-da-da-da-da and Dazed. And now, now we're trying to figure out if that's even what we are, right? So what does it mean when now we have to go back and basically intervene in a massive media apparatus, a virility apparatus, mm. and say this is who we are? So I think that that was something that I know just as Ariana's friend, even before I got involved in Brujas, that was something I always heard them talking about. It's like, how do I intervene in this narrative? And it's always, I mean, even like our first media um, piece was very clear about the political intentions of the group as being something in between Quarter Snacks and the Young Lords was the way that we first described ourselves in Quarter Snacks as a skateboarding lifestyle destination blog. And the Young Lords are the, you know, Puerto Rican, National Puerto Rican nationalist organization, organization or, origins in Chicago, like highly influential in Spanish Harlem and like New York City. So, I mean, with that sort of um, self description in our first piece, obviously our intentions have always been to be something bigger than a group that goes out and films each other skateboarding, just because that was one of our objectives during the summer, which we have a pretty brief, but you know we have that video piece. We did that, you know, we, we did what skate crews do and we are doing that this summer too, just going out skating with each other and filming, getting clips and en- encouraging each other to like engage in that the athletic and social thing that is skateboarding, um, together. Yeah, that's, that's cool. But I don't think an all Latina skate crew from the Bronx could really describe the group of people that put anti-prom which is on the circle line with cardi b glossking tabby wakes and like pretty much the most diverse and interesting uh lineup of all native new york city new yorkers mostly femmes or queer which mask also co-hosted um like that doesn't you know there's like definitely a disconnect and that's not what skate crews traditionally do you know what i mean like you don't see like young groups of skater boys like going out and doing the huge Production. productions that we do every probably two months. We do something huge, you know, something that takes every one of our friends and supporters and people within our organization to put on. Like we we do these these things take so much work. So it's a little bit um, disrespectful to our work. And it's almost the infantilizing, like, classic, like, feminization of of cultural product. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think that that tagline is so infantilizing, actually, because we are so, we are doing so much beyond just, like, hanging out in the skate park and have been for... I mean, yeah, it's, like, started with house parties, but then it started to get serious when, I guess... I want to say, like, I think 1971 was our first, like, massive project that then just set the, set the tone and standard for every project after. Oh, and Anti-Prom before then was also a, like, 500, 500 to 800, who knows, at the end of the day, like, how many kids came to that party, but it was a completely DIY production, um, that was hosted in a warehouse on Green Street last summer. 
And that was when it was like, oh, yeah, like, we're doing this for real. Yeah, I definitely think that parties are a huge part of the origin of what Brujas is. I would say now there's so many, much less, like, skateboarders involved in the core team. Right. I mean, they're definitely, well, maybe it's half and half. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think what's also really unique about Brujas is that, like, what's what's so inaccurate about Brujas is, like, it is, like, a all-gender all spectrum. <laughs> like, all-gender spectrum, all, like, eth- ethnicity and, and racial, like, coalition. Yeah. But back to parties, though, <laughs> I wanted to um, talk a little bit about, because also the legacy of this work is, like, we didn't just decide to become, to be doing massive scale productions. It's actually something that we, I, I participated in with my um, involvement in an organization called NY2NO, and that Ripley has been organizing also part, start you know, with cultural um production radical work since, since high, school. high school and we also uh, i think well three people in brew house went to high school together mm-hmm. or if you include orlando gill <laughs> of course four. we do that's ariana's <laughs> little brother and, and miles sales so i'd say that there are five there's a there's a nice community that came out of beacon high school that works really closely together on a lot of these projects yeah oh and antonia of course six. yeah yeah there's so, many so it's us. actually kind of the majority of us actually were went to the same went, high to, went to the same high school so it's the legacy of this it like didn't yeah like popped up in the bronx as this idea and then but it's kind of i've kind of always i've actually tried to tell the fader this a while ago didn't really communicate through their piece but like Brujas has kind of always been, it's just manifesting right now, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's definitely true. Um, yeah, I mean, Ariana and I met when we were in high school. I was a senior when they were a sophomore. Um, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we met because I helped start this um, group that was doing solidarity brigades to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and was basically taking um, swaths, hundreds of, um, New York city public school kids, um, from all over the city down to new Orleans to work with different community organizations that were focused on anti-racism and food justice. Um, yeah. In the, in so the wake of Katrina. Ripley by age 18 had already contributed to the radicalization of over 500 young people. <laughs> Um, and was to our community uh, the one of the most respected and revered and not feared, but I kind of feared a little bit. <laughs> um, oh, I want to hear more about that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like you could catch Rip in the hallways, extremely overcrowded hallways of Beacon High School with the same pair of like Doc Martin combat boots with a billion like spray paint painted stuff, like had the most badass look. It was hard not to be intimidated. You know what I mean? Like, like it was the most like that. That was just the. Excuse me if I'm if can I say that this rip that you were just that bitch in high school, <laughs> oh, and yeah. you really were that bitch. Like mm. that was just it. You know, like rip for their um senior prom didn't 
I think, have one person that they went to. They went poly to prom Mm -hmm. and had, you know, visible body hair for their outfit, which for a decently traditional high school... Nah, I wouldn't say we ever went to a traditional high school, but it was a decent amount of traditionalism in our in our high school culture. It was very like cool dudes from Park Slope smoking pot, like going sipping a forty at the basement party house party, like right, like no one was out. Yeah, there weren't gay people in our high school except for like two, who were like femme kind of like queer men. Yeah, true. We're the most, like, legibly queer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we went... So we... Yeah. Basically, Ariana and I were friends. Um, I definitely, like, was a mentor amongst, like, people in my high school community. And we brought young people down to New Orleans. And one of the one of the ways that we became close was because we went to New Orleans on a trip that I was organizing um, and sort of facilitating. And I remember... Yeah, like, I remember it was a trip that was, like, really heavy with conversations also about, like, gender, and that was, like, something that was coming into my consciousness for the first time, because I was sort of radicalized around anti-racism, and gender wasn't really a part of that um, dialogue at the time, and intersectionality was far from what was being yeah, talked we about in even, that, we weren't in talking that about that at the time, I don't think. Um, yeah. yeah. No. But, um, yeah, I think... I think that one of the ways that that connects to Brujas is that we used to throw these parties to fundraise for these trips. And we, you know, we threw a party called Moshing for Mobilization that had like five or six like high school 8-bit or like punk bands or like, you know, all kid bands. And we yeah, were like native to, New York mm-hmm. creators, yeah, um, who now are like out here doing shit. Have still. huge, cre- like, are have careers. Yeah, you know? definitely. Yeah, I mean, I could go so far into like how influential I think New York City kids are in, in cultural production right now. But basically, yeah. So we threw these parties. One time we threw one, we made like seven thousand dollars, and we were able to buy ourselves like a school bus. And we were like, you know, fifteen. We basically just had some adults who were like supportive of us, who like helped us go through the paperwork. Um, so like, really, this is like, you know, that was us like stretching our legs for like mu- so much more organizing that we wanted to do. And I think one of the things that was, has, especially when I was in college, cause I had like a really different college experience than Ariana. I went to Brooklyn college and was involved in a lot of sort of very traditional, um, public education activism around tuition and I really missed that cultural production side. And I was like, I really want to work. I want to do things that are cool. Like I really want to work with people who are interested in, in aesthetics. And, and so I got involved with, um, mask as an aesthetic project and wanted to interview artists. And the first article that I wrote for mask was an interview with my friend, Ariana Gill, who was a <laughs> bassist at the time for, uh, an artist called SZA and had been doing organizing on their campus. Right. And that was kind of like how we reconnected um, after a long time of not not talking. Right. But yeah, I mean, I think the f- the first time that I really got like super involved in Brujas was with 1971, which was a project that was focused around materially supporting people who are incarcerated and facing criminalization in New York State um, through the, a streetwear uh, rollout. Right. And that was 
uh, brainchild of Ariana and mine and this yeah, one just Robin. Be, being like, oh yeah, we're kind of done. Like it was in definitely in response to like, well, we're getting all this media attention for nothing. Like they don't even include our Instagram link. Like we're not <laughs> even getting follows. <laughs> So, like, let's, uh, if we've got a little bit of, like, media attention, let's use it to really um, say in a really strong way what it really is over here and what it really was for us, what really communicated what it really was at that time politically was taking, you know, prison abolition stance because, I mean, even in um, my last semester at Oberlin, I, you know, was in a course called The History of Black Incarceration and, you know, some of the most real, you know, issues of, like, nexus of, like, capitalism and social justice, anti-capitalism social justice um, was just really um, in the prison abolition movement for me at the time. Like, if you weren't able to, in your mind, be in a world where there weren't prisons, you weren't thinking um, in to me as radical of a way as, you know, people were, are, were able to actually, I mean, the history of prison abolition is actually pretty long, I think, but for, for at least, like I said, being in, on this like college campus with this climate of like very like inter, 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 um, uh, what's it like when you like introspective, mm. um, of like yeah definitely like introspective sort of self-healing like identity work it was the place that felt really exciting Mm -hmm. um for me so i was like yeah but you guys aren't gonna fuck with brew house anymore once you find out we're prison abolitionists so that was kind of my plot like i in so many ways definitely go back to the second that you make them like you make them unlike you Mm -hmm. um meaning like yeah, we've got all this media love. We've got all this mainstream attention and love. Well, let me, let's see what we can do to really challenge that to see how deep it really goes. Does it go beyond the click? Does it go and it manifested in support looking like 23,000, close to $23,000, um, which was double our goal. And right now, which you can go to 1971.nyc to see, what proceeds look like after the um, production and shipping of all of those clothes definitely amounted to over, I'd say, $12,000, over twelve, something between twelve and fifteen, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, I think what was really unique about that project was, like, we learned what it actually takes, um, and we did, we realized that there was a lot of production overhead. You We're know? still not done. Yeah. Um, more than half of that money went to direct support to um, incarcerated or fa- or facing uh, people facing criminalization by the state. We surpass our goal in just the material support element. Mm-hmm. So that was actually a really good test of te- testing the sort of relationship we have with the public and the media. And we we continue to learn what it means to have a relationship with the public, you know, with the yeah. base. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that we also were able to challenge people. Like, I I think that it was a controversial project in multiple ways. Like, one was that we made, like, prison abolition legible, um, 
we were able to reference a bunch of things that we th that we think are important, including like texts that have been influential to us. Um, we were able to work with two artists that we really love and want wanted to hype their work. We were able to materially support people who are facing criminalization, and we were able to like show people who are currently in you know anarchist or anti-state or anti-authoritarian organizing right now that they need to step their game up in terms of culture in terms of like engaging with culture because you can you can do it like you can actually make the work that you're doing relevant to people who are outside of your small radical scenes absolutely and our that's our again going back to what we started the podcast with our goal and if you see the um like the media campaign that accompanied uh, 1971, it was 100% native New York City youth who maybe not yet, or some of them maybe, but most of them were not in like the sort of niche liberal arts or college or radical scene mm -hmm. um, that, you know, is the kind of cult that I followed yeah. Yeah. Like through high school, through college, through now. Well, actually now is like the only time that I've actually don't really have any like traditional organizing community. Mm -hmm. Which, well, I have it. Well, we have it in Bruhaus. Yeah. So, but it's not, Bruhaus isn't traditional, like the way that a lot of like, re, like traditional organizing, it's just not. No, so. it's, I would consider it cultural organizing through and through, you know, like I yeah. think that it yeah. is a creative enterprise, right. a cultural organization before it's anything else. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think that those are all things that we really want to touch on in this podcast throughout the time that we, you know, have it, which is like, we're going to have topics every week. One of them might be exactly that. It might be about like aesthetics and movements. It might be about, um, some going through some of the more critical analysis stuff that that drives our work. Yeah. Um, like for example, right now, and and even with 1971, like we are very influenced by, you know, the discipline and punish as a text, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually, that's going to be a huge focus on our fall season campaign, um, which we'll be able to kind of walk people through what that's going to look like in the next few podcasts. Right. Um, but yeah, coming up next, I think that we're interested in, in talking about rape culture and um, what Burhus is doing to fight patriarchy today. Uh, just this week, we penned, or mostly Ariana penned, a piece um, about this recent uh, incident of rape that involved uh, members of ASAP crew. Yeah, it was an open letter to ASAP mob. Um... For those unfamiliar, it's a rap creative collective just like ours. It started organically with two two young men from New York, um, one of who passed away um, and was a, from the very beginning, from the first whispers of Brujas um, three years ago, was like a supporter of our work and our movement. Um, the great late ASAP Yams. Um, so since we felt, you know, for such a long time, so much uh, affinity with ASAP Mob, we felt it. And also with the, like, insane amount of sexual assault allegations that have come up in the New York City underground rap community in the last six months, 
and we were trying to figure out ways to properly address it, just felt absolutely necessary to put out a statement. Um, it was well-received. So, yeah, we're thinking next week we're going to talk more about what death to all male lineups means. It's just been almost two years now, a campaign that we initiated to diversify and create uh, and, and, you know, emphasize the importance of safety for non-male or non-cis male bodies in shows and musical spaces. Um, so, yeah, so we'll talk next week about that, um, about sort of the specificities of this particular incident, being that it was a sort of internet exposed moment, which has its own set of complications um, going through. And also, I mean, it's also important because ASAP Bari, the, you know... Um, assailant. Assailant was um, the co-founder of ASAP Mob and also the lead um, creative mind behind V-Loan, which is a streetwear brand. So just as ASAP Mob was able to create careers for rappers like ASAP Ferber and Rocky and 12V and Nas and a whole bunch of other um, musicians um, and poets, it also spawned street like streetwear. Um, and because we're such passionate streetwear mommies over here, we also felt the need. Because at the end of the day, when, I mean, you could find some really cool um, music videos with kids in brass hoodies, but the videos that are getting like 12 million and up views, you're seeing V-Loan everywhere. Mm-hmm. And uh, shout out Slicey. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that not only do we want to talk about the incident in particular, we want to talk about the larger structural issues that are at stake. Right. And also as prison abolitionists and as people who are like uh, against the state, right. we're interested in talking about community-based alternative forms of accountability. So that's also something that we're going to touch on. So skip next week if it's going to be too intense. Truth. Um, But also, shout out to everybody who's been so supportive of our open letter. And it's on our Tumblr, blog.bruhas.nyc, reblog it. Send it to uh, ASAP Bari and Co. personally. Retweet share tag <laughs> support support fuck bari fuck bari free uh, bari free bari is actually what we're saying cuz yeah. if the state chooses to enact the discipline in the ways it traditionally does we say not the best way truth is locking him up so but we'll go into that more next week. Yeah. So thanks for um, listening to Brujas on Mask FM first podcast. We went through our origins, what we do, some of the history of two of our members' relationship, um, and um, some other stuff. Yeah. I got up off the block, bitch You stuck up on the block, bitch Getting money around the clock, bitch Getting money, it does not stop, bitch Getting money around the clock, bitch Getting money, it does not stop, bitch Never worried about a little bitch Never argue with a normal bitch, bitch. Girl, can you understand my world alone?
do is get money and get myself in pros. Can you understand my goals? Trying to get myself in gold. You should catch me at a show. This podcast was recorded and produced in the Mask.fm studio. If you're interested in supporting our network, please visit www.patreon.com/maskfm. I'm just off